You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey friends, welcome back to Foundation Radio. My name's Adam Bernard. Sorry I've been a little busy these past two weeks. My family and I are prepping for a move from our home in Chester County to beautiful, scenic Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Our house got a full offer ask in 72 hours, and now we're waiting on an official start date for my new job. It's kind of crazy, but we're excited to start this new adventure. But I'm not going to say Yins on the show. I don't even say John. And to be honest, I'm not entirely sure I understand either fucking word. But I'm excited for Permonte Brothers again, because that place is fucking dope. Let's face it, 2020 has been a steaming pile of the drizzling shits for all of us. There's no good way to spend this year. The pandemic, unrest, Donald fucking Trump, and now the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, less than two months away from the general election. It's a lot. We've all had to adapt and find new ways to stay sane and healthy. It's not enough to just tread water anymore. We really have to figure out how to stay head and shoulders above it, working hard not to get sucked back into that riptide. I found a lot of solace in the process of film photography, the finite amount of exposure, the process of finding just the right shutter speed to match the aperture, the endorphin rush from the snap of the shutter. Oh my God, I'm sweating right now. The point is we all need something and it's really hard to stay humble and grateful right now. Today's word is gratitude. My friend Sandra Highmark has had a few extra helpings of this shit show of year. Between being an extra in what we thought was going to be the worst story of this year, to losing an additional gig to COVID, then losing the most important person in her life. Quarantine hasn't brought solace, just more time to grieve. But Sandra's managed to find gratitude in a time when most of us would throw our hands up and quit. Sandra's not built like that. She's managed to see the world as glass half full throughout these added obstacles and tragedies and maintain one of the most positive outlooks I've ever encountered. Her story is incredibly inspiring, and I'm excited to share it with you today. Friends, let's welcome Sandra Highmark to the show. literally not get enough coffee all right so Sandra thanks so much for joining me and doing the show here I uh, I really appreciate it how is everything and you were coming from where you were now in back in California or are you here in Pennsylvania where are you now I'm in California now I just got back last night and how was uh how was the airport that's kind of what I've been curious about is like I ask everybody who's in an airport like during COVID like what's it like to be in an airport right now is it is it as scary as it as I imagine it being or is it just like is no. it okay it's okay. Um, <laughs> flights are not crowded. It seems like the airports are crowded though, but the flights are pretty good. Like the, I had um, all my rows, like the rows across from me were empty. Uh, um, yeah, a lot of space. So, so how are they? Like, how are they? Are, there's like a lot of people in the airport though. So I don't know where everyone's going, but they haven't been on my flights. So. Oh, that's a good. Well, at least if they're not on your flights. I mean, how did they? How do they space it out? Like, is it like? I mean, there's like three seats, but do they, how much room do they have between each seat? Like, what does that, what does that look like? 
I mean, it's still normal. They try not to fill the middle seats and how they deplane is from the front first. So first class okay. will get off and then they'll do every five rows and then the back of the plane is last. So um, that's kind of how it should be. But I mean, it's, it seems like that it's, is how it should be, but it's usually chaos. But yeah. people are pretty orderly at this point and know, you know, what's going on. And you have to keep your mask on the whole flight unless you're eating or drinking. Um, but it is the least likely place to catch COVID, actually, because the air See, filtering system on an airplane is very clean and it just filtrates like constantly. Just all the time. See, that's, oh. that's, it's so surprising to me when I hear about that stuff because it's like, oh, flying is the safest way to travel. And you wouldn't think that, you know, being if you've ever yeah. been in turbulence before, it's the last thing you're thinking oh about. My, you're like, oh, oh my, I'm going to oh oh die. <laughs> I'm going to fucking die. Yeah. It. I hate it. I hate roller coasters. I hate rides. And it, has felt like a ride like especially in the fall which is coming up and i'm kind of freaking out about it already yeah. um going over the rockies it's like clear air so you don't see it coming you don't know that there's like drops coming like that right, literally right. happens all the time and i remember last year i was on a flight and our whole plane screamed me included like i thought we were going to die and like the luckily the pilots did say like the flight attendants are going to need to sit down. Like, and I, that's though, when you know, like shit, this there's is a problem. problem. <laughs> <laughs> when the flight attendants need to sit down, I'm in trouble. Like, yeah, then um, there's a big issue. Yeah. <laughs> traveling, I don't know. Like my, I mean, I don't know how you feel with traveling, but I feel like my faith and my joy of getting there is greater than the fear of what I go through. Like I literally oh, have yeah. to deep breathe on flights so that I can be okay through turbulence. And I hate it every single time. It does not get easier. Right. Um, but you just, then you're there and you're like, all right, I'm here. You know, it's temporary. And that's, that's kind of like, thing. that's kind of like how I am. Like, I'm, I'm really not a fan of heights. Like I used to love roller coasters when I was a kid. And like, I love that, like that fear. But when I, once I started flying and like, when we started traveling, like I've been, a, I, I guess it was 2018 when I went to Vegas, like twice that year at the end of the year. And I was freaked out during the plane ride. And like, I was, you know, I'm always like super nervous as it is. And, um, once I got there, I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I did this. And I'm like, I didn't want to leave. You know, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, it's so great to be here. And it's, mm -hmm. it's so beautiful in the weather. And yeah, it's like, the, it's the payoff at the end that I would, I would yes. do that a hundred times out of a hundred every yeah. single time. I, oh yeah. So. You're having like severe anxiety, your heart rates up during the flight, but you're like, all right, this is temporary. Like we'll get through this. We'll get through Exactly. This. Exactly. And it's going to be fine. It's which, which is what it is. <laughs> we are not um, going to die. <laughs> <laughs> this Remind year. Remind yourself. <laughs> this year, like I'm, I'm just like, I had a chance to kind of like think about your story. And I think like, I know 2020 is kind of like sucked for everybody, but like, I cannot believe like the, the continuing things that have happened. And like, this blew my mind. Like I had no idea that, that you interviewed with Kobe Bryant to be his executive assistant at his, at Granity Studios. Like that, like when you told me that I was like, I'm sorry, what? Cause like, and, and for me, like, especially right now too, like with COVID, like you think about it and you're like, Kobe Bryant just died in January, right? Like you like the impeachment was February and March. Like, and it's like, it just feels like six years ago now. Like what was, so how did that happen? Like, how did you get involved with Kobe? Like, how did that process start for you? And then like, what happened? Sure. Like, so, yeah. Yeah. So um, before Kobe, I was with a big financial company. I was doing everything and more to become hired permanently for them. I was a contractor 
And I really hit my limit when I went home for um, actually when I put in vacation time for Christmas. And because I was a contractor, I wasn't going to get paid vacation time. And I took off two weeks. Like I was like, I'm going back to my family. Like I, I do every Christmas. I just, it's a non-negotiable for me. Right. Um, and I said, you know what? I'll just save up the months ahead leading up to Christmas break. And um, I, you know, I'm gonna, I'll make it work. And I, when I got back, I got paid two days, one day per week, those two weeks I was out. And I literally was like, if you are not going to hire me, like I'm moving on. Um, I just can't wait for you to hire me. They told me six months and it had been a year and a half at this point. Um, I really wanted to be hired with them, but it just, I really hit my limit when I realized, you know, look at this crappy pay that I'm getting. And not only that, I don't have benefits, not getting 401k. I'm not getting any of that. So I looked into other opportunities Um, I hooked up with a uh, staffing agency um, that actually knew me previously. So from like three years ago and uh, the girl actually remembered me and she said, you are one of my greatest clients that I've had. Um, I worked for her about three years ago at another job. And um, she's like, I want to find something amazing for you. And you know, you're not getting the pay you deserve. You're not getting the job you deserve. So I'm going to find something amazing. And she came back with the Kobe opportunity. And just I just, I just can't believe it. Go ahead. I just like, I still, every time you talk, I was just like, I can't. So go ahead. I'm sorry. So you gave you the Kobe paper. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, she, I didn't believe it myself. I seriously was like, what? what? She said, I have a high profile client and um, I only give him the best of the best of my clients. So she said, it's Kobe Bryant and his production studio. And there was no question that I was like, I'm in. When can I interview, you know? <laughs> when can um, I start? Yeah. Yeah. And so I did the first interview on December 12th. Um, and it was with his CMO. And that was the first one. Um, And she kind of explained that Kobe was kind of a diva and that, you know, he really needs someone to take the reins and be resourceful and pick up what he's putting down. And I said, I'm on it. Like I can, I can do that. Um, And I actually wasn't even sure how I felt. I really wasn't sure how I felt about that initial meeting with her. Um, She seemed amazing, but the way, I don't know, the vibe I got was like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Right, and then, right. Um, uh, yeah, and then I even told my um, staffing agent that I was like, I'm not sure about this. And then she's like, let me just check in, see what she, see what she thinks. And yeah. Like when you, when you say, when you say like, I'm not sure, like was, what was, what was the apprehension on your part about it? Like, was it just because it was Kobe Bryant was because of like things that happened with Kobe Bryant in his pet? Like, what was it? What was the, the, the feeling that you were having such apprehension not, about? You know, not even that. I think just the way she was describing him was so at a top level, like he is a diva. Like she was like, you know, just pick, pick up the hints I'm saying. But I, and so after that, I was like kind of apprehensive about it. Like sort of, I don't know about this, but I kept thinking to myself, this could open up 
so many doors, so many opportunities. And I just feel like, you know, I said, if I, if they want to see me back, fine. If they don't, that's fine. Um, and she called the next day and was like, Kobe wants to meet you. How's Thursday? And I was like, okay, you know, let's, I, I can do this. If this is happening, like, let's go with the flow. Let's go naturally. Right. So I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll do it. So I wasn't nervous until, um, I walked in. So, um, I ended up meeting with the CMO again and him in his office. So <laughs> I, uh, you know, she brought me in. It's a very small company. So it was only about, there's only about like five to 10 people there at a time. So, um, my office was going to be next to his. Um, and I saw it, she said, that will be your office, you know, depending on how today goes, like, we'll see how it goes. Um, so she brought me into Kobe's office and I, didn't even have words. Like when I shook his hand, I was so nervous. I didn't know I was going to be that nervous. And I was like, hi, I like stuttered and reached out for his hand. And he's so incredibly tall and I'm so incredibly short um, (laughs) (laughs) that it was a shock. It really was. Not only was it Kobe, but he was the tallest person I think I've basically ever seen up that close. Um, And I quickly said snap out of it. He is a business owner. He has a business. He is a human. Snap out of it. Don't be starstruck. Like, let's move forward. I was going to say, because I feel like I feel like at a certain point, like you just like, because I know I've been in situations with celebrities before where you're just like, I can't believe I'm standing in the same room with you or talking to you, right? Like, because mm-hmm. it's just, you have, I guess you have this idea in your head about who these people are. And it's, it's when you actually get a chance to meet them, you realize that they're literally just human beings like you are, except that, mm-hmm. you know, one of them, they, they, you know, they're, Kobe fucking, you know, like, and I just, I can, I can imagine just like that, at that momentary, like wave of terror that comes over you, not even terror, but just like, you're like, I don't know what to do, right? Like, I'm not sure what to do with my hands. You know, like that's exactly. literally how I would respond. Yeah. Exactly. So, it was, so, but he, did he put you at ease though? I mean, he was pretty much he like, he, he did. was like, I mean, we connected immediately on our Philly roots. You know, he was like, I see, I, I see her from Philadelphia and you know, he had my resume in front of him. It was, it was crazy. What, you know, the fact that, that is, my name was in front of him and that we were connecting on that level. And right. He, right. You know, I think one of the reasons he did choose me was that I was not starstruck over him. I mean, I know he's Kobe, but they did not want someone who was going to be in awe of him. They wanted right. someone who was going to work with him and, you know, he was going to be a boss and you were going to be working next to him. You know, it was just going to be normal. Um, and I think I snapped out of it real quick. It's like a a mind, you know, kind of just have to go with it. So I was like, all right, he's, he's just talking to me normally asking questions. So the CMO was sitting there, he was across from me. Um, he asked me about, um, my previous jobs, he asked me, you know, why I'd want to work for him. Um, you know, it, that was, it was a pretty short interview. It was about 30 minutes. It, it wasn't too much. It was just the basic, um, like professional job questions. And then see again, this, so that's that to me, like, I just, I feel like when I hear that thing and you're, you're like, you hear that story and it's like, it's just, it's literally just a job interview, you know, it just, I don't know. So he, so you ask you the basic questions. She asked me and, the basic questions. It's over, you know, the CMO walks me out and she's like, we'll let you know. Like, it, it seems, you know, you seem like a really great fit. I just want to let you know that, but we'll let you know. Um, so then I interviewed with him one-on-one 
So that was December. And then I interviewed with him one-on-one January 3rd. Um, okay. So it was after Christmas. They asked if I could interview during um, that Christmas break, but I said I had gone home and I could do a video interview if he wants, but I understand if in-person is better, I can do it when I come back. So um, they were like, sure, you know that whenever you're back. And I chose that Friday. I think it was January 3rd, 2nd or 3rd. Um, and so I met with him this time one-on-one. So he, this time he asked me about my family. Um, we really aligned on that. Um, you know, he has four daughters. Yeah. And my brother has three daughters. So we were talking about that a little bit. I think he had just had his youngest daughter, like just a year prior to that. Yeah. She's, she's small. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're talking about that. He, he was impressed that I played rugby um, and that I played ice hockey. He was like, man, I've done those ice machines before. And he's like, those are killer on your legs. Like he was like, his jaw <laughs> seriously dropped when he was like, and you played ice hockey. Like what? So we connected on a sports level. We connected on a family level. Um, we connected with our roots, you know, Philadelphia, um, And we talked about what I want to do eventually. Like he basically was like, what are your dreams and goals? Like, what do you want to do? Like, be honest. And I mean, I said, you know, I would love to start out with you and see where this goes. And eventually I do want to get into more, you know, being my own boss at some point and, you know, taking lead from you, but also I do want to become my own boss and, I want to do something with nutrition and health. And I had all these thoughts about I could be his nutritionist one day, you know, like (laughs) briefly mentioned that in the interview and he's like, cool, you know, like, you know, that's it. That's, you know, sounds good. And kind of left it off. Didn't, didn't offer me the job right there, but left it at a really good note. Um, And after that, they were like, yeah, we want to offer it to you. The CMO called me and, negotiated a salary. Um, I gave my two weeks at my um, contractor job on January 8th. I went to Portugal in between these jobs and I had found out that he died on at LAX when I landed from that. Now the job was with his studio, right? So you were going to be, so would you have been his, like his actual executive assistant? So like, what would you just for, for the sake of the, the conversation, like what, what would your duties have been with him? Like what would you have done? Sure. So it's his production company and he has a personal assistant. So that's more of family matters. Day to day, all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like the kids and all of that. I would have been his executive assistant. So I would be booking um, any producers coming in, any artists coming in, um, any um, photographers, anything that had involved the studio. So running out and getting props for him, um, calling, dealing with, um, anyone that he wanted me to deal with. Basically it was, you know, how, you know, can you jump how high? So, um, it was going to, I knew it was going to be challenging and I really wasn't sure if I could do it. Like I kind of just acted like I could do it because I felt like, that's the best yeah. way to do it. You have to, you have to like bet on yourself, right? Like that's, that's the only way you could do anything, right? Like I, 
yeah, I get it. Like you have to, it's the best way I feel like I found too, is when you go into a situation like that, you have to just know that you can do it. Even if you think you can't, you have to pretend yeah. right? like yeah. fake it till you make yeah. it. Yeah. And it's, it's not even, I, I don't know how I feel about fake it till you make it. Cause you know, it's real. You just can't see it yet. So like, I right, knew right. Be like, I knew it was real coming from whatever I had in me that I wanted that I could do it. But I didn't, I couldn't see that yet. So I was a little bit afraid, like, okay, am I going to fail at getting this done for him? Cause he's very impatient too. So that's one thing that <laughs> I think a lot of people know if you work with them, like he's a, a very kind soul. Like we really did. Our spirits really did connect. Like he's a kind person. Um, but he also owns a business. So I get it. That impatience, um, wanting things yesterday, you know, right. asking for it now, but wanting it a week ago. So, um, and I was used to that with, um, you know, my other jobs being an executive assistant, it kind of led me up to this. I mean, I think I grew in those other jobs and I basically sold myself saying I'm right for the job because I've had experience handling, you know, 12 portfolio managers in my finance job. I mean, I'm constantly handling calendars and I think those 12 portfolio managers would be equivalent to just one Kobe Bryant, you know? Um, like he's the top of the top, but, um, so I really just sold it like that. Like I can do this because I've had experience and, um, you know, you just got to take that leap of faith. And I, and they, they saw that in me. And I, I think they, they saw something in me that connected with them as well. So you find out your first day was supposed to be the 27th of January and he dies the day before what was the first thing that, that like, tell me about your thought process at that moment. Like what, what went through your head and what were like your first initial thoughts? And then like a couple days after, like once the dust had kind of settled in your head, like what, what was going on in your mind at that time? So I went to Portugal and I'm used to flying and landing and then going to work straight away the next day. So, um, my boyfriend and I had just been in Portugal a few days earlier talking about, we're going to bring Kobe here. Like he's going to be in our, you know, he's going to come to our wedding one day. Like, you know, yeah, you guys this, are best friends now. Yeah. You yeah, and Kobe are like oh, the, yeah. the tightest. Like, yeah, absolutely. Literally, I, he, I was like, he's going to be part of my life. And, um, and my boyfriend was all on board. He's like, Kobe, but he was sending me memes of Kobe through text. <laughs> all the time. Just like so excited for me. And I was yeah. so excited. And, so we land at LAX. It was Sunday at 11. And I remember landing that it was a weird, um, like a weird fog and very cloudy. And the girl next to me had never been to California. And her and I were talking during the flight. And I was telling her about my, uh, my new job opportunity. And she was there for work as well. But she was going to have some vacation time. And she was like, I thought California is supposed to be sunny. And I was like, yeah, that's like, it usually is. But it's kind of, you know, this gloom. Yeah. Uh, and January is usually sunny here. Really when it's gloomy, it's like May, June, like there's that gloom, but January is supposed to be sunny. So I did think it was kind of just like weird, but nothing more than that just was like, it's kind of a gross day to come back. Um, and my boyfriend is an employee for United Airlines and he works at LAX. So he parked his car in the employee lot and he's like, go to the curb and I'll, I'm going to go get my car and I'll come around and pick you up. So I'm waiting on the curb by myself and he calls me and I'm like, what is he calling me for? <laughs> like, he knows where I am. Why is he calling me? I'm like, hello. Right. He's like, 
oh my God, Kobe Bryant just died. And I was like, I, I didn't even understand what he was saying. I didn't have words. I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. Like what do you, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And he, I was like, just come around. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Just hang up. And I heard someone uh, dropping, I guess, their grandmother off uh, or picking their grandmother up. Um, and he's like, I work from TM, for TMZ. And he was like, it's true. Because I basically was like trying to see, like, is this true? Like, I, I'm kind of confused. I was starting to get texts from friends who knew that I was going to be working there. Like, did you see this? Is this true? And I was so overwhelmed that I, my legs were shaking. Like, I kept thinking like I've never shook like that before. I just, I was thinking this can't be true. Like I, this can't be true. Like this is my future. And so I got in the car and my sister called me and she's like, did you see the news? And I'm like bawling my eyes out, like bawling, like can't even breathe. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, this it felt like a weird dream. It was like a weird dream that wasn't happening. The car ride home was like silent because I just didn't have words. I didn't know what to do. I had a feeling I wasn't going to go in the next day, but I just, I was like, what do I do? And so I contacted my staffing agent and um, also contacted the CMO and um, just reached out and said, I, I know this is a crazy situation right now. And I, I can't even imagine what's going through your heads. But I was like, um, just let me know if you want me to be there tomorrow, I will. Or if not, you know, let me know um, if and when you would like me to come in. And I didn't hear back for hours. I mean, we had the news on here when we got home and it was all the, you know, coverage of the crash and the site and the, you know, those images just don't leave your head. Right. The right, right. helicopter it's, on the Hill with the smoke billowing. It's I mean, international news. I mean, it's literally taking over every cycle. And now not only that, not only the fact that like arguably the greatest ball player of all time has died violently with his daughter and mm -hmm. countless other people. Now your, your life is basically on hold now as well. And it's like, I can't imagine how weird that must have been to have that conversation and, and like have to make that phone call. Like, Hey, I know that like this situation is going to take over the news and like your friend just died and, and the owner of this company just died. But like, I need to know whether or not you need me to come in. Like that must've been, that must've been so weird. That must've been so odd to feel that like, and, and to be, to still be processing all of that as well. Like it still be processing the fact that this person that you were imagining having this, not just like business relationship, but now also possibly a personal relationship with, and that has, it's gone. It just, in a second, it's, it's gone. It's gone. It was gone. I couldn't, I couldn't even believe it. And that phone call, yes, it was so hard. It was so awkward. You know, it's just an awkward point in time because I needed to know if they need me, but I totally understand and, you know, felt like it would be okay if they didn't need me because things were going to be crazy. I didn't know what it was going to be. They were still probably trying to process it and figure out for themselves, like, what does this mean for us? And I, and I understood that, you know, I could be the last thing on their mind. Like I did have that in mind as well. Like if they don't 
call me back, which they did not for um, till the following week, that following Monday. Um, they said that they decided that it's best that I don't come on board um, because they didn't know the future of the company. Um, they didn't know what that meant for me. My, you know, we negotiated a salary that I was going to be under Kobe and, you know, I had my contract, I signed it, he signed it. It was going to be working directly under him. So basically my job was gone. I mean, there was, that was, it was going to be him. That was my job. So, um, that put things in a weird position too, is them figuring out like, well, we're not going to need her now. And, you know, I was thinking maybe I could be their assistant or, you know, and I didn't suggest that I kind of wanted them to come up with that. Right. You wanted to come. Exactly. Right. Right. I didn't want to make any suggestions. Um, but I was hoping in my mind really that whole week, I just, I cried every single day and I woke up, I think around like noon or 1 PM because I was so emotionally exhausted that I just slept and I would go to like a gym class at like four in the afternoon. And then I would come back and just try to be as positive as I could and, you know, wait for their response and be patient as well. I know it was going to take time and, you know, I couldn't imagine what they were dealing with and there were going to be news reporters there and all of that through the week. So um, that's a lot of chaos for me to walk into. And I figured that's, that it made sense that they didn't have me come in for that reason. They were just going to be picking up pieces from, from everything. Yeah. Cause I mean, even, even as, as new as the company may or may not have been, I mean, you know, the CEO has just died. Like you, they don't know what the hell's going on. They don't even know if they're going to have a fucking job tomorrow either. You know, and it's like, what happens now? Everybody is up in the air and it's just, I just can't imagine. Uh, it's just such a, like, how tragic, you know, like it's just, it ripples through everything. And like, I just, I just can't seem to wrap my mind around this when I think about it. And it's just like, you were, it was right there. And this, this immense opportunity for you, you know, and and just outside of the fact of how tragic it was that Kobe and and Gianna died and everybody else on that plane, it's just like so many other things that were seen to be lining up for him. Right. Like, and you think about his life and his trajectory after basketball and you were going to be a part of that. And it's just like, that is just, it's, 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 probably one of the biggest tragedies of, of my lifetime, you know, like in our, in our lifetime. But so it's, it so was, it's like yeah, go kind ahead. Of crazy. Cause we, we, when I looked into his eyes, when we were interviewing, I mean, we, I saw his spirit seriously, like, and we connected so well and he's just, was just such a great human and such a kind person and a family man and everything that, I admired in a person and he, that was going to be a boss of mine. Like how much better could you get that? You you literally can't. I mean, I mean like, you, you can't get yeah. any better than that. Right. You can't get any better than that, that I felt that, you know, but I didn't want to play victim. I didn't want to say this was ripped away from me because I was, we didn't even know at that point. I think it was at least that Sunday, the 26th when he died, we didn't know if um, his family was on board. We didn't know who was in the helicopter. Um, and then when the news came out that it was his daughter, I mean, it was, I just, I can't even fathom that Vanessa, the things that she had to go through that day. 
and the and also and finding finding out that that her husband and daughter died from TMZ of all things too. You know, I mean, that's how that's how they found out. And and as a parent, like reading that those news reports, like I I you know, and and knowing the details of what happened and like how long the descent was, and like at that. I think for me that that's what fucks me up the most. Like when I hear stuff like that, like, you know, he had, they, there was time for them to know. And I, that, that will always like haunt me, you know, like it's, it's like when you hear about tragedies like that and you know about specific things that you don't want to know about that they just tell you on the news for whatever reason, it's just for mm-hmm. the shock value of it. It's mm-hmm. like my, my brain can't process those kinds of things. Right. Like I, I can't sit and deal with that emotionally. So it just sits and I just cry you know, because I just, I'm so overwhelmed by it. And it's like the fact, like I can't imagine being on a, on a plane with Sophie and like being like, this is it, that this is it. We're together and we're going to be here for this, but this is, this is it. And like, mm-hmm. it's tragic. It's off. It's fucking awful. Like it's, it's, there's no other way around it. And it's just, I, uh, the physical manifestation. So you, you go through this whole thing and, 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 what happens next? Like what, what, how, where do you go from there? Like what's the next steps for you? Like what did it look, what did the next couple of weeks look like for Sandra after, after staying in bed for a couple of days? <laughs> so I reached out um, to my agent and said, you know, I'm not sure where to go from here. And she said, I am in- so incredibly sorry that this happened. We are going to find you. I mean, you are a top priority. We are going to find you the best next job like I know it might not compare but have faith in us and we'll we're working hard to find you something um so just had to hang in there and I said no to a couple things I um you know they offered me a couple like financial institutions and I was like nope I want something that is going to be you know because I was so excited to kind of get out of that somewhat corporate life and work for a small company and um, just something big, something, I just wanted something bigger than just the financial institution down the road. Um, And I explained that to her and I said, look, if you can find something that's big and well-known or just out of like different than corporate, even, you know, just something different because I was so excited for this different opportunity that you know, I can't imagine having something less now. So it's not going to be equal. I understand that, but please find me something amazing and nothing less than that. So um, early February rolls around uh, and they said, we have this opportunity at University of Southern California, USC, and um, they are in need of an executive assistant there. And I was like, ooh, you know, a a school, like an actual, you know, college, a university, that's something different. I mean, it's somewhat corporate, but it's still different than just finance. Like I would be dealing with fun university stuff. So um, I went to interview, sat on campus for a few hours until they needed me, kind of was on call there, Um, walked around campus, had never been there before, so thought it was pretty cool. It was a beautiful sunny day. Um, I interviewed with the HR director and um, someone else there. She was also an executive assistant for either the VP or someone there at the university. So interviewed, um, thought I did great. And I didn't know 
exactly what position, you know, I would be supporting. I just knew an executive assistant. So I didn't know who I'd be supporting. I thought maybe a professor or, you know, wasn't sure. Um, maybe a dean. I don't know. So the agent, my staffing agent comes back to me and says they loved you. Um, but do you know who this will be supporting? And I said, no. And she said, the president of the university. Jesus. And no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, didn't know that. Um, and they didn't tell me on purpose. Obviously, they didn't want, they just didn't want to. They didn't want anything. At the time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they said, you know, whenever you can start. And I was ecstatic. I was so excited. Um, but I wanted to go home and visit my parents first. So I took a right. few days. I took about four days. And I said, okay, my start date can be that Tuesday after the holiday in February. Um, Which one? I, I, it's time soup right now. How I do I not know this? Um, it's <laughs> or, um, That's one of the, yeah. It's, it, it's 2020, man. Everything is just sucks. Everything just, it's, just, it's the <laughs> oh literal God. shits right now. It's I am embarrassed yeah. that I don't even know that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm also leaving this all in too because I, this is great. So go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so... I was like, I'm going to go home, visit my parents, and I'll start that Tuesday. It was the 18th. I remember that. It was the 18th of February. Um, so they were like, great. See you Tuesday. So um, went to the president's office, and I had my own office. So there were only about eight people in there. It was the chief of staff, um, and then the president's driver, his, her personal driver. Sat oh, in my there. God. Um, <laughs> oh, man. What a gig. I mean, it's prestigious there. It really, is. It's like, I remember. Well, I remember seeing your Instagram stories and just being like, "Wow, the like the view from the views that you put up into that like I don't know if it was a courtyard area or something. Was that from mm -hmm. your office? Yes, yes. Jesus, like, I could open those beautiful windows, and that building oh was so God. old. That building's so old, so. I, I was so wanted. jealous. I was I was working in Bella Kinwood and I would I would look at a fucking parking lot all day and I was like, can you just send me, can you just live stream me this all day? Because I could I could definitely put up something to just blast this up on my wall all day. So <laughs> I know it was it was incredible. Like I I felt at home there. I was like, this is it. Like this is it. Uh, this is my future. And right, and it's definitely I mean it's 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 a good step in the right direction after the, the arguably the worst January in the history of the world. <laughs> like, and now it's, now you have something that's awesome and it's, yeah, I mean, that must've been a great feeling. Yeah. I mean, I was being trained properly. Everything was going smoothly. I met the president who is a woman. I just thought that was amazing. She, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. She has so much experience from university of um, North Carolina. I think she came from UNC um, and the chief of staff, also a woman. Um, who I worked the most closely with. And she was amazing. Like truly just so easy to talk to. Um, such a leader, great leader, always checking in with me, great communication, training me, um, giving me tips. I mean, it was like, I felt like, oh, wow, this is like a good pair. I mean, she takes me like to a lunch. Really it sounds like a really empowering position and, and an empowering feeling, not just as a, as a, you know, as someone who's coming into this, but also as a woman who is looking at these strong women who are leaders mm -hmm. in this field. I mean, that must've been, that must've been amazing. Yeah. That must've been so awesome. Cool. Like it was, it was so cool. And just how much I was learning. I mean, I was, I 
was very overwhelmed in the beginning. I mean, I really didn't know what I was doing. There was so much to the job and um, so much detail that I thought I was detail oriented before, but this was on another level. Um, and it was dealing with a lot of, a lot of university um, events and making sure she was, she had, you know, um, she would go to speaking events and I'd have to make like cards for her that she could kind of look at while she's speaking. And so there, you know, I'd have to make them a certain way. And, you know, there, there was a lot of high pressure things there because, you know, you would be giving her the, I would be giving her the materials to walk into like some sort of event that had thousands of people in it. So, you know, had to be on top of it. I didn't even know what questions to ask in the beginning. Like I was like, I know I'm supposed to ask questions. I don't even know what questions to ask, but it was such a fun challenge. Um, and, and I was treated so well there. Everyone was treated so well. It was such a great environment. So inclusive. Um, everyone just would come into my office and talk to me and, and provide training or tips or just get to know me. Like it was just such a wonderful, wonderful place. And how soon after you started, did you first start hearing the rumblings about the coronavirus? Because I know like, like I work in property management, so we heard about it pretty early. And I actually had a friend who works in finance. Well, you know, Eddie Spaghetti. Um, yeah, he yeah. works and he does all that uh, day trading and all that shit. And he was sending us stuff in like January. and was like, guys, you really need to pay attention to this. You really need to know because this is coming and it's going to be really bad. And I remember just being like, what are you talking, you know, like kind of like it's sort of an ancillary thought in the back of your head. And then yeah. as the news reports start coming in and it was like, oh shit, Eddie was right. Like this is, this is really bad. Like this is going to be bad. So how soon did not just you, but I guess USC, like, was there any rumbling about it before it came or was it just like everybody else like, boom, here it is. And we're just closed. There was some rumbling about it end of February, I would say. So about 10, 10 days, maybe two weeks into the job. Um, there, the first rumblings I heard about it were the students abroad who were in Korea. Um, and they had to come back home. Right, so, right. Um, and that was, um, that was a challenge to find student housing for them because they were in the middle of, I mean, they were pretty much like in the middle of their semester there. Um, so we had to scramble and find off-campus housing for them. We had to figure out who does anyone, do any of them have symptoms? Um, do we need to quarantine them? Uh, so that was it. Then the students from London as well had to come back after that shortly after. So that was a few days after that. Um, and we started realizing how big it was going to be when we had to bring people back and, uh, kicking people out of dorms and stuff and, you know, just trying to figure out what to do financially as well. So, you know, do we give them their money back for, you know, room and board, you know, parents are calling constantly and the, you know, the receptionist was picking up constant calls from concerned parents. Um, and yeah, we just knew that this was going to be our lives for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah dealing with that and sports events were starting to be canceled pretty much at, since I was handling the president's calendar. Um, it was just constant either rescheduling or canceling events and everything was COVID related. So she would meet with um, the executive team of the university and have meetings that were basically all all, all directly COVID related stuff. Mm -hmm. And then and so I would gather materials for those meetings. So it was the senior leadership team meetings um they were called and a lot of it was 
COVID related. What do we do about this? What do we do about that? What's our decisions for this? Um, And they were having them almost on a daily basis and they would be hours long. So they would come to the president's actual office, um, sit at the round table and just talk for hours. And there were nights that I was there until 7 p.m. sometimes. And I took the metro in and out of L.A. So um, I had to take two metros. I had like a transfer. And um, so there were times I left campus at like 8 p.m. to get back on the metro and then come back in the morning. Wow. Um, What time would your day start? It wasn't that early. So that's good. It was about like 8.30. So I would hop on the metro around like... 615. Now is the LA, is the LA Metro as bad as like SEPTA out here in Philadelphia? Like it just the, just the shits all the time or is it like, does it actually run on schedule? Cause SEPTA it never runs on schedule. Give or take a minute or two, but it runs Lucky. on schedule. Lucky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was never late ever. I was always early. I wanted to be early. I was always like 20 minutes, 15 minutes early. Right. Um, always trying to take the earlier one, but they were all, I mean, it was always very on schedule. So the 13th hits, which is basically, I think that was like the metric for everybody is like March 13th, basically the world stopped and then you're sent home, you're working from home and then everything comes to a grinding halt, which sounds a lot like what happened to me, but like what, what happened on your end? They just like, because campus closed down, there just wasn't anything for you to do. So we were actually the last to go home. I mean, the, the administration buildings were kind of some of the last to go home. We got, they were like, get out of here. We got to go like, take all your stuff. We don't know when we're coming back, go home, get home, sign back on. And I try to figure out how I'm going to navigate this from home because I'm only a month in at this point And I don't, I guess I just didn't know, you know, what, what do I do now? Like, everything that I was just trained on is events and scheduling stuff for the president. So right. now I have nothing to do. Um, so everything was already canceled. I took care of everything before I came to work from home and I kind of tried to do my daily things by sending them to my chief of staff, but it was just, it was such minimal work that I was doing that it was almost silly for me to send them to her that at like, one point, like menial tasks, right? Yeah. yeah. So like that one point she was like, we don't need this, you know, it's okay. Like you don't have to do this. Um, and I was like, well, there goes another task. <laughs> like I'm just, just trying to create work for myself basically. Just to, to, yeah, to justify your, your, your existence there in a lot of ways. Yes. Right. Yeah. It makes so sense. I was like, don't forget about me. You know, here's this, here's that. <laughs> and I would get like one to two emails a day. It was, terrible. I would just leave my laptop open and cook or make, you know, make lunch, you know, um, and check my email, um, you know, here and there, but there was really nothing going on those weeks after. And I didn't have a good feeling about it. You know, as they told me before I came left, you know, to work from home that, um, unfortunately we might not be able to keep you if we don't come back soon enough if there's just not enough work and i was thinking i mean we kind of all were thinking yeah you know this could be over in a month we'll see you know we didn't know because i mean everything was so new at that point too like nobody you know we maybe i thought it would just sweep through and and be done and then here i am home for an entire month and a half i mean i you know i was i was genuinely terrified to be in philadelphia you know like and and you live close to a a large city too i mean you get it like you live close up to to la so like it, it it's 
it was scary and not having any information and not knowing and like just such uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you're laid off in mid April and mm-hmm. you have to file for unemployment with mm-hmm. everybody else. What was, mm-hmm. I've heard stories about this, like, cause I've, you know, unfortunately I've had, I've been there too. Like I've been, I've been fired and I've had to file for unemployment and under normal circumstances, it's a, it's a goddamn nightmare. But like, how bad was it during COVID? Like how long was the process for you to, to even get onto the website or even to, to, to file that information? Like what, what, what was that like? So it actually wasn't too bad. Um, I think I started getting money shortly after it wasn't too bad. I think who was That's having good. a lot of trouble were small businesses. They were having right, a lot of right. trouble. Um, the fact that I was, uh, you know, I was not a business owner. I was not um, trying to justify how much money I needed. I just kind of put my information in. I said, here's the deal. I was laid off due to COVID. You know, let's submit this. Let's hope it's quick. And it, it really was. It was fine. I start, I think I got my first check like a couple weeks after. That's good. So at least you didn't get held up like everybody else. I know no. I've, I've know a couple people who have had some pretty nasty stories recently. Um, so, so you're, you're working, you're, 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 this is the second gig now in 2020. So 2020 is just starting to fall apart. You have this opportunity to start your own business and then you get hacked. Mm-hmm. So funny. So yeah. Funny. Oh, it sounds, it sounds hilarious. <laughs> oh, so it sounds funny. fucking awful. But, you know, at this point I just laugh about it. Cause it was like, Wow. It's like, what else, what else could happen this year? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so I look into this new business and it happened to be based around social media. So that's what it, it's based on advertising through social media. And it was a product I really resonated with. Um, I knew I, I've always known I wanted to be in health. I mean, I even told Kobe I wanted to be his nutritionist eventually, you know, I knew I wanted to be in health I, in my corporate jobs. I was constantly working out, um, meal plans for, you know, a pregnant friend, you know, someone who needed to lose weight. Like I was constantly focusing on nutrition, but I was like, you know what, after two failed jobs, like this is the universe and God telling me, okay, just start your own thing. This is your time. Like no more, no more being under someone. This is your time. Um, so I really listened to that and, um, found this product and I was like, wow, you can advertise it through social media, through your Instagram. You just pay Facebook to put an ad out there and you can reach tons of people based on, you know, what you want your audience to be. So, um, I I was like, I use my Instagram all the time and I I love talking about, you know, things that resonate with me. So I feel like it would just be natural. So, you know, go through a lot of mindset work. I'm reading the law of attraction, money in the law of attraction and really um, learning about how your thoughts bring you what you want, what you want, like not even having to speak it like your thoughts. So it's that powerful. So I was like, I really want this. It's going to be great. I'm going to work towards this. So, you know, sign up for their school of marketing, learning. I, I, you know, um, fiddled around with my Instagram, my bio. I fixed it up like how I would be, you know, owning a business and, you know, fixed it up on, uh, you know, how I wanted it to look. And it, it was, it didn't take just one time of that. Like it was several weeks of me figuring out 
does this make sense? Does this sound right? Having my highlight stories in check, knowing like if people came and visited my Instagram that they would know I'm in health, I'm interested in that and kind of looking at my, my whole page and seeing what I'm about and the pillars that I, that I basically three to five pillars that I'm about. And, um, that's family travel, health, you know, um, nutrition, um, all of that was important to me and I had it set up perfectly. So then I get hacked and, um, like it's just, just, it's just, yeah, it's not even just my money. Like I was, it was your whole life. Yeah. Your whole, whole life. life. Attack. Like it wasn't even just my, you know, credit and savings like that. I, I knew I was going to get back. Um, it was my phone number and my email that this person had. And, um, I had too many signed in attempts, uh, into Instagram that it kept sending Cause it, it, basically how you sign into Instagram, if you forget your phone number, you put in your email. And if you forget your email, you put in your phone, your number. phone number. Well, I didn't have either. So I kept trying to do a workaround and it kept sending a code to my old phone number. And either uh. that person didn't care. I'm, I'm pretty sure that person just wanted my money. He, he or she probably did not care about my social media. Right, but right. I think due to, you know, they probably ignored those messages because whoever, I mean, that person had my phone number at this point. Well, that's so. that's my question too. Let's let's back because I want to touch on that because I, I, when you told me you got hacked, because I remember like seeing your new Instagram and I was like, why does someone have a new Instagram? But how did they how did they have your information? Because I know you you told me that they, they got into your, your email, but how did they get like your actual like social security number and everything? Like, how did that even happen? So I had upgraded my iPhone a couple weeks prior. So I got an iPhone X and my boyfriend had gotten an iPhone 11 and we are both with T-Mobile. So we went to the T-Mobile store. We had that, you know, it was a deal going on that um, you could upgrade for like 50 or a hundred bucks or something like that. So it was a great deal. We did it. Two weeks later, that's when I got that that call, that person that was impersonating T-Mobile. And it made sense that, because it was so close to the time we made these upgrades, that it kind of made sense that I was hearing from T-Mobile. I don't know why it did, but... But yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have I mean, thought otherwise did. if you're making an upgrade. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to, I mean it, to me, that would have made sense too, yeah. And he said, oh, I see that there's a MacBook and an iPhone 11 on your... Um, you know, on your, per, on your bill. Um, and I was like, well, yeah, we, we upgraded before, but, um, we upgraded our devices, but no, there shouldn't be anything that, you know, we're going to be charged for. We already purchased those. And he's like, Hmm, let me cancel this purchase then. And he's like, I see you've been loyal customers for over four years. And I mean, he knew my name. I basically confirmed information for him. He knew it all. Um, he, so he had your social security number. He had your address. He had your email. Like, holy he gave shit. Me, he gave me a cancellation number and a case number, told me his name. And he said, you know, it'll take 72 hours for them to figure out, you know, what this case is and, and who is behind this and who would be purchasing from your profile or from your T-Mobile profile. And um, so I was like, that's weird, but didn't think anything yeah. of it. I was like, okay, whatever. Like, thank you so much for solving it. Like, thanks. You know, great. Yeah, like you're doing me a favor. Yeah. Like I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And then 
I was out at the grocery store, noticed I didn't have service. And I'm like, must be a tower thing, whatever. An hour goes by, still don't have service. Two hours go by and I still didn't have service. So I thought that was strange. And I got home. I had Wi-Fi at this point. I had a couple messages come through. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to call 611. I'm going to see what the deal is. Maybe this guy accidentally canceled my line. Canceled your service, right. Um, couldn't even make outgoing calls. Every call failed. So I had my boyfriend call T-Mobile customer service and he basically, he was at the gym at this point. So I was like, um, this is kind of an emergency. I need you to kind of stop what you're doing and, and help me yeah. mobile because I can't yeah. them. Um, Oh my God. And he's like, Oh, they said that that phone numbers, your phone number's not on the account anymore. And I was like, what? Like, I don't understand what, what that means. Like, what does that even mean? And he's like, sounds like someone stole your phone number. And we tried to call the number back that called me and it was not a registered T-Mobile customer service rep number. It was a burner phone. So there was no way to find out oh, no. who this person was. You, you can't even track it. Yeah. No. Oh my God. So I reported it to identity theft and the FBI. I, we actually went to the police station the next day and they said, oh, you should report it to the FBI. They do these, they, they investigate the cyber further. crimes and all that. Yeah. yeah. Cyber stuff. And so I did that in every, explained it in every detail, um, hoping they would get, you know, something out of it. I even gave like the cancellation number, the case number, which I know is all BS, but I just thought maybe if they knew this phone number and could, maybe type in those numbers, they might find something. Um, because what I don't really understand is that this burner phone was registered under what under a person at one point, right? It existed in the world. So why don't we in 2020 have the technology to figure out who that person is? Or at like least how- to try to, the problem is too, I think with a lot of these, these, the way that they're becoming so advanced, even if they're, if they're calling you from, you know, let's just say Manhattan, they can send their signal to, you know, Ottawa or, you know, Seoul or somewhere. And it's like, you can't drink, you can't trace them because they're able to ping the signal off of different towns. I mean, it's so advanced. Like it's, it's, it's almost, it's virtually impossible to figure it out after a certain point. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. Like I, I, that's my biggest fear is becoming a, a, an identity theft victim, you know, and, and, and here you are actually living it. So how bad did they wreck your credit? I mean, it, it was just like, they just destroyed everything. They wiped your savings account out. All of your business stuff is gone now. Um, so I bought the product with my old card numbers. And so I had to put that on hold and that was like not even an easy task to do. So, um, that w- I used three different cards because it is an expensive, um, product. It's an in-home water ionizer machine. It's a medical grade machine that produces different types of water, um, different pHs of water. So, um, you know, I had to make sure my credit was good to purchase this. I had to, you know, use a couple cards to get it and then basically go back and say, um, yeah, this purchase can't go through because I'm canceling my cards now and getting new cards. So I had to put my business on hold. I couldn't get the product yet. Um, didn't have an Instagram anyway. So, um, put that on hold and kind of went through everything that I had and changed like all my information. So T-Mobile had given me a temporary phone number, um, that I ended up, it ended up being permanent. So that's good. I didn't want my old phone number back. They ended up getting it back. So that was also key too. I said, whoever has my phone number, we need to get that back, that old phone number. 
Um, so found out that, you know, they got it back and it's disconnected. So there's no, no one has that number. Um, but got a new phone number, literally stayed up that entire night, just going through everything, like some even silly stuff like Groupon and like AAA and like everything that's connected to your email or phone number, I had to change. Um, made sure to freeze my credit. They did not touch my credit. So thank God. Thank God. Wow. I thought they had got your credit. Like it's, no, it, at no. that point, I'm like, well, just that's, that's the end of it. Yeah. No. Um, wow, the first things I lucky. checked, the first things I checked were my accounts. They had gotten my savings and my, um, my credit. And those are two different banks. So no doubt they could get anything yeah. else. Um, but immediately I, I called, um, Equifax, TransUnion and, um, what's the other one? It's TransUnion, um, Equifax and nah, I can't remember. It's the either the third, third branch. One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, called them all three and made sure my credit was freeze frozen. Um, been to push, put a, made sure to put a freeze on those. And they had told me that no one had touched it or taken anything out in my name or anything like that. No cards or anything. So that was really lucky. I felt actually lucky because that was a huge, that was huge. And yeah. as far as my savings, so capital one realized that this, wire transfer was coming from Arizona and they know I don't live in Arizona. So they didn't put it through. So that's it was, excellent. It that's was great. in my, you know, it said wire transfer, like it was a lot of money and they thankfully didn't put it through. It's, wow. um, it, it was like noted on there. So I took like a screenshot and I'm like, um, it says, do you guys see this too? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we didn't put it through. And then um, Wells Fargo, my credit. So I actually just ended up calling and canceling and saying those target charges for like, it was like seven charges of like 800 some dollars to target. Like crazy. Um, And I said, those are not my charges and you need to cancel my card and send me a new one and figure out like, you need to get me back to zero. Cause like I had, I was at zero. Yeah, this ain't it. Yeah. So I was like, this cannot be happening. That took me a while to get to zero credit. And like, no, it's not happening. So um, that was easy as well. They knew that it wasn't me. So um, thankfully that was, you know, that turned out okay. And, you know, I mean, for what it was, it was very stressful. I kept waking up and thinking, oh my God, I have to change that account. Oh my God, I had to change that account. Oh my God. You know, like it was like, a, it was a little bit of a nightmare, but you know, looking at it, the important things weren't like the important things were solved pretty much. So while all of this is going on, you're rebuilding all of this stuff. You get a call that your mom is not doing very well. When does that transpire in between this cavalcade of shit throughout the entire year? Like when does, when does that call come in? So ironically, um, you know, you follow Instagram and you see all the positive posts that are like the next six months of the year are going to be my year. I'm going to kill it. July is coming. We're going to have a brand new. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard that one. And that is so true. (laughs) It is. And it's like, I see these posts still and I'm like, can you guys please just fucking stop? Like nothing is saving this year. Nothing. And nothing is saving next year either. Yeah. 
I, oh my God, let's hope next year is a little bit better. God, I hope so. I just don't know what else. I don't even want to question it. So, yeah, don't, um, we're not, we're not even going to, cause I know I believe in, in a lot of that, the, the law of attraction stuff and the way my mindset is. So I'm not, I'm just going to pretend that everything is going to be fucking fabulous in 2021 and nothing bad's going to happen and everything's just going to be fine. Everything will be you know fine by December. We'll be according good. To we'll be astro- good. According to astrology, it's not going to be great, but we're just going to go on thinking it is. We're just, I'm going to just continue to say that it will be. It's not going right. to be as bad as this year, but you know. So anyway, we'll, you know, forget that piece of. We're just going to, yeah, we're just going to continue to keep We'll just on. forget yeah. that. So um, this, ha- I got hacked on July 2nd. Uh, that was that Friday before July 4th weekend. So I'm going through everything that weekend, just kind of, or I know I got hacked on Thursday, Friday, whatever. It was just through the weekend, just going through everything and thinking, you know, okay, now this is the biggest problem in my life. You know, I'm gonna sort this out somehow. You know, I let my family know immediately. I let everyone know who had my old phone phone number, like don't text the old phone number. I don't know who has it. This is my new, you know, making sure everyone, you know, I was talking to my family at this time and we were all in a group text. My whole family's in a group text. So it's my sister, brother, mom, dad, and me. Um, my sister-in-law as well and my brother-in-law. But um, so I let them, everyone know, like, you know, this is the situation. My dad was like, glad it's solved. Great. But my mom, I noticed that was the point that I noticed that my mom wasn't texting back. So I had texted her individually and I was texting her in this group text and I noticed she wasn't like responding. And I was like, that's super weird. And I had talked to her a few days ago um, before I got hacked and was so focused on my business that I didn't really see um, I mean, looking in retrospect, now you see it's kind of an issue, but she didn't want a video chat. She just wanted to talk on the phone and she sounded like she was like in bed and laying down. I heard the TV and it was three in the afternoon there. So I thought that was strange too, because she's never in bed at that time and she's always up doing something. It just, I mean, the worst I thought it was, it the chemo. I just thought that these chemo pills that they gave her during quarantine just, you know, either weren't working uh, or they were working too much. And, oh, and I, I actually think the end of May she got, she started going back in and getting chemo in person again. So it could have been that too. I think I thought like, oh, maybe it's the chemo pills. Maybe it's her first dose of chemo again after months of not having it. So, um, didn't think too much into it. Was really focused on cleaning up my my mess, um, and then my dad called that Tuesday. It was the seventh of July. I knew my mom had a virtual uh, radiologist appointment, and I sent them a text like "Good luck." Like I always, you know, made sure to send positive words and encouraging stuff during around, you know, whenever she had an appointment or. Um, like not the usual chemo stuff, but just whenever she had an actual appointment that would tell like what the scan said. And, you know, I just made sure to really think positively and make sure that she felt that as well. And didn't get a text back from her and my dad. And my dad had texted me saying, can I give you a call? And you know, when your parent asks that, that that's probably not going to be good. Nothing um, good comes from those those kinds of text no. messages. Now, no, I had cleaned the whole apartment that day. I remember I was like, I'm going to take a break from dealing with stuff. I'm just going to clean my apartment. It's going to be 
wonderful. I had music playing. It, was, it felt like a good day, really. It felt like a good day. And um, I remember finishing up and it was like five in the afternoon here. And my dad, you know, texts that. And I'm like, of course, like, let me. And so I call him immediately. And I, I honestly thought that he was going to say, mom's deciding to go off chemo. Like, I just thought that was going to be the worst of it. Cause you just never know with that too. Right. It's just that to me was scary that she would go off chemo. But at the same time I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe if she goes off chemo, she'll have a rejuvenation of life and she won't be as tired and she'll just have better quality of life. So I was thinking either way, okay, whatever he tells me, just turn it into something good. So he basically said what it would be in a movie where someone calls and says, your mother has two weeks to two months to live and I'm bringing hospice in and whenever you can get here, um, whenever, like you, you decide when you want to come. Um, but I'm just letting you know that. And I crumbled into like a ball of pure tears. Um, and again, it's bringing me back to that, that Kobe moment when I found out that he died, that I couldn't really fathom what he was saying. I couldn't fathom what my dad was saying. I couldn't believe that this was happening. Um, it felt like a total shock and I hadn't seen her in person since February. It was pretty much before the coronavirus. Um, I was trying to be really safe. I was going to say they shut everything down. You couldn't go anywhere. So yeah, I mean, you're a lot like me where it's like, if you tell me to do something, I'm going to fucking do it and I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Exactly. I, was, I'm an, yeah. I, I don't, you're, you sound like an upholder rules. We're a little bit attached to rules and it's hard exactly. to get un- unattached them because that's what we're told. I'm an upholder as well. I follow I sp- rules. Well, especially with something like this too. I mean, and, and it's, it's a global pandemic. You know what I mean? It's not like some unjust law that we're not following. Like it's, it's literally lives are at stake here. And of course I'm going to, you, you tell me to stay home. I'm not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Wear a mask in the store, wear a mask at the gym. No problem. I'll wear it in the car. If you ask me to, I'll even wear it in the shower. Uh, you know, like that's just who I am. And it's like, I'm, if that, if that's going to help me and that's going to help somebody else, cause that's, you know how we, uh, we're pretty much the same person in that regard. If, if, yeah. if what I can do is going to help someone else and do the next right thing for that next person, then I'm, that's what I'm going to do. It's the, it's what's going to be in the greatest good for everybody. So yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, you and I were both diligent about that, but uh, so yeah, yeah so I, saw, oh, I saw your posts. I know what side. Yeah. I know what side <laughs> you were on with that. Yeah, I just, the hell with that. I'm not doing any of this crap. No, screw that. So yeah. you have, so you're, you're home, you're, you're, you haven't seen mom since. So did you, I mean, were you FaceTiming with her at any point during this time? You just, you had no idea that anything was, was, like off kilter at this point until you get this call right I mean really realistically right so let's see February I saw I'd seen her in person I flew back in between um that Kobe the Kobe Bryant and um USC so I saw her then she seemed fine we watched a movie we went to dinner like she was totally fine and then um for Christmas she gave my sister my brother and me uh, the Facebook portal. So that, um, I don't know if you know what that is. It's like, um, it's, I don't know how to explain. It's kind of like a, an iPad in a sense. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the, like you can video chat with from your Facebook. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. Yep, okay. So my mom got each of us kids that for Christmas. Who knew we would be using it so much during like the next, the following year? Like who knew? Like it was kind of <laughs> crazy. best gift of all time, yeah. Totally, yeah. like totally. So, I mean, I got calls every day during quarantine from my nephew and niece here in California because we weren't seeing them. Um, and we would play video games together. We'd link up on... Um, Mario Kart and play video games together. I mean, we did everything we could on that portal. We really did. Um, and so it was great because I could call my mom. And, and what's cool about the portal is it kind of, I don't know if this is cool or creepy, but it follows you as you move. So when my mom would be cooking, I'd be talking to her or vice versa. If I, you know, go over here, walk over here, I was doing something in the kitchen, like or in the living room or whatever, it could still follow you. And I thought that was super cool. So I, I video chat with her like one to two times a week during quarantine. Her and my dad would always be sitting in the kitchen. Like it was the same thing, updating, you know, them on my life. They updating, you know, not much was going on basically. I mean, they were going to the grocery store. That was pretty much it. Um, and I wanted to keep them safe. I knew my mom's immune system was not super strong with cancer. So I never flew back home during that time. And um, just was like, you know, I'll see you when I see you. Like, it'll be great when we can see each other again. I actually had been originally planning for August or September to come back. Um, but had, you know, life had a different plan. So, um, so that I, I got on a flight the very next morning after that phone call with my dad, my sister had called me right after, um, right after our conversation. And she asked, when are you going back? And I said, tomorrow. So, um, I was like, I'm trying to be on the first flight out. And she said, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, we went to the airport together. My brother-in-law drove us to the airport. Um, so she left behind her, you know, my niece and nephew and her husband, um, for an unknown amount of time. And we just were like, all right, this is it. Like, we're going to focus on my mom. Um, and yeah, we got there that day and, um, that was July 8th and she already had, so let's see at this point, she already had a walker and she was already cross-eyed in one eye. Um, she had cancer all over her body and a lot of it went to her brain. And what happened was it went to the back of her eye. So her eye had so much fluid that it just, and it was like neither one. It was yeah, neither muscles, one. Yeah. yeah, she actually would like put the eye patch on like either eye. Um, so it was one would focus. Basically, one could focus. Right. Um, so and she really barely had any hair, and her voice was scratchy, and it was it was a shock. I mean, my dad didn't tell us till later that my mom didn't want us to know till two weeks after that radiologist appointment, and my dad was like, absolutely not. So he didn't, she didn't want you to know the news until potentially she could have had already passed, which I mean, she did within almost within 10 days of you being home, mm -hmm. she passes away. So she didn't even want to tell you no. that she's that sick. Nope. My dad told us wow. that. And my dad and mom have been married for 44 years. Like my wow. dad, I mean, they loved each other so much and my dad would do anything for her, but he could not do that. Like, right. he that's, was like, I'm, yeah. I mean, he's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to tell them in two weeks that you're dead. Like, that's ridiculous. So like, no, who wants, you know, that's just crazy. Yeah, Plus yeah, he no couldn't, 
he couldn't do it by himself. He knew that. And he knew that. And I mean, I was even back there visiting um, just this past week. And he asked me, did I call at the right time? And that's such a hard question to even fathom that he would ask that. Like, what, I mean, I said, you called me at the time you needed me. And that's the right time. I mean, you, I don't, that's the right time. I don't know what I needed to validate his feelings because whatever he did was right. I mean, he didn't call too late. He didn't call too soon. What he did was right, you know, and it's just questioning, like, did we do the right thing? But, um, he knew he needed help. So he called us and my brother and sister-in-law are about 45 minutes. They're in Bucks County. They're in, um, Quaker town. So they came over every single day. Um, starting that day that we, my sister and I got there and we just worked as a team, um, as my mom declined. So, um, dealing with hospice was lovely. They were so great. They were great. Um, every time we needed something like a wheelchair, they'd have it delivered in like an hour. I mean, it was, it was so good because they know it's a, it's a time sensitive situation and, um, so anything we needed, um, we would get immediately, and they were so nice. I mean, the nurses came only a couple times to check her vitals and make sure she was fine and if we needed anything. But really, it was my dad, my sister, um, my brother and sister-in-law, and even my nieces were so amazing during all of this, but I, that we all just jumped in to help whatever we could do um, to take care of my mom. And... I couldn't believe I was doing it. I really couldn't. I never, ever, ever imagined that I would be at this point that my mom was just withering away from me ever. Like couldn't believe that I was going through it. And I, in a sense was so grateful that I could though. I mean, who gets that? Who gets to do that and say goodbye and say all of that, that the things that you wanted to say to her, who gets that? I mean, she got to choose how to die. Like that is, you know, she, she died in her own bed and. We should all be so lucky to be, to, to die so gracefully and, yeah. and, and in our own way. Right. And I realize it's a different situation. If it's an accident, there are so many other levels of loss with that. Um, but we can't forget to look at the silver linings of what we had, because if we don't, you know, appreciate and feel grateful for what we had and what, what is at this time, then we'll never appreciate and be grateful for what will be. So I felt like it was such a strange situation that each day she was declining. I mean, she was just getting worse and I couldn't understand at that point that I, she wasn't going to be around. Like I knew, she, you know, she's not going to be around forever after that, but you really, you just, you don't really know it to the fullest extent until, until way after, like I still don't understand it. Um, but I just, and, and I mean, just because I'm grateful doesn't mean I don't experience the other emotions. I mean, do I think it's unfair? Yes. Insanely unfair. Am I bitter towards others who have moms? Absolutely. Am I scared for Christmas to come around and Mother's Day? Yes. Do I cry a lot? Yes. But I feel so lucky 
to have had that chance to say goodbye. I mean, it's kind of scary because I don't really, um, I'm thinking about my life, what it's been this year, and I don't even have a career yet. I don't have a career. I don't have kids. I'm not married. I don't have a house. I don't have any of that. And she's not going to be around for any of that. And so life is so unfair. But I feel like if we understand that and we accept that, it's so much easier to go forward. It's so much easier to wake up every day and be like, you know what? Life is unfair, but I'm not going to be the victim and I'm going to make the best of my life and appreciate what I had and what I have now. And, you know, we got to tell her like, we're going to take care of each other when you're gone and we're going to be there for each other when you're gone. And, and, um, she actually died when I was out for a run and my sister and brother tell me that, um, that I was the favorite because they say when someone passes, when you're out of the house or out of their sight, you're like the favorite. <laughs> Everyone else was home. <laughs> That's and, uh, um, They think that the, she waited for me because to leave. Yeah. She waited for me because I'm the youngest and I, you know, we had her on, um, we had her on like a baby monitor type thing, FaceTime kind of. Um, we hooked her cell phone up um, to the to her iPad, we, and we had like a baby monitor going on because when she was comatose, um, she was breathing super super loudly, and it was kind of that end of life breathing that can last anywhere from a day to seven days. You just don't know. Um, so she's in her bed, totally comatose. We just wanted to make sure we knew, you know, that she was fine. If she fidgeted, she that meant she was in pain and all of that. And um, so we knew like, okay, we'll have to give her morphine at that point, or we'll have to change her diaper at that point. So we looked out for those kinds of things while she was, you know, comatose. And, um, and uh, when she, this is like so crazy. When she passed, my sister told me that the phone flickered and would just black out. It blacked out. Wow. And my, they didn't know that she had died at that point. They were like, that's weird. It's like disconnected. So my brother went up upstairs to check her phone and he put her, he noticed she wasn't breathing loudly. So he put her, his hand on her, um, on her heart and there was nothing. And that's kind of like a sign of like, there's something with spirits and technology. So I just thought that was super interesting that that happened. Like it's kind of a comfort that her soul moved on, you know, like her spirit moved on. The one thing that I get from all the things that you're, you've been sharing with me. And one of the reasons that I, I wanted to, to have you tell the story uh, on the show is just, your like relentless positivity and your relentless ability to be grateful in spite of what could possibly be the worst year in anybody's life. Like even if you were to just hold the pandemic to the side, I mean like the barrage of terrible things that has happened to you would beat most normal people, but somehow you continue to be grateful and optimistic. And I find that so it's inspiring in a lot of ways because I don't know like losing a parent 
and losing someone who could potentially be so important to my life in, in an amazing, I mean, a, literally a once in a lifetime opportunity. People don't get those kinds of things. And you lose them both in the same year and almost potentially lose your financial security, your identity uh, in the middle of a global pandemic. And the fact that you're just so grateful. I mean, there's just notes. I mean, we, you know, we, we put together some notes before the show and it's just bullet points of being grateful about the experience. Has it been difficult for you to feel grateful at specific times or is it just something that you like just to continue to practice that? Is it a mindset? Like, like how do you, how do you continue to stay? So I don't want to say upbeat cause I don't feel like that's the right word, but like just focused on being so grateful. Like what, how do you do it? Yeah. You know, I've never been one to have a gratitude journal like that just was never my thing. Um, I, I think a lot of it was support from my family, support for each other and knowing we're in it together and knowing that life does go on. I mean, in a sense, it's, it's ironic, but you can't have life without death and you can't have, you know, you can't have, you know, life easy all the time. And it's just nothing great would come out of it. So you kind of just, I mean, I, the way I look at it is you just have to take whatever challenge comes and find the silver lining. And a lot of people would not necessarily agree with me on that with loss in that sense. Um, I mean, losing my mom has been literally the worst thing that has ever happened to me. Absolute worst thing that has ever happened to me. I mean, she and I, we're best friends and who knows you more than your mom knows you and who wants to talk about those things at work that no one else cares about more than your mom does. Nobody. I mean, I, I and I think gratefulness is, it's the foundation and it's not always, it's not always there. Um, I mean, this past week when I went back to visit my dad, um, it was even worse than going back the first time. How, and I how didn't, so? I didn't, I, I didn't even know it was going to be like that. Um, I think because it was real. Like we were on a mission before to take care of her, right? You know, we helped her through eating. I mean, every challenge that she had, we helped her through walking, you know, getting her into a wheelchair, changing her sheets, her diapers. Um, we were on a mission. We were so focused on making sure she was not in pain, making sure she was comfortable. Um, and we took those challenges as they came. I mean, there was one point she was having a lot of trouble with drinking um, thin liquids, so like water. So she was aspirating really badly. So we were like, okay, tuck your chin and drink that, you know, and my sister-in-law is a um, speech pathologist. So she knows this kind of stuff was, we're, you know, trying to, come up with solutions for all the things that we were experiencing. And, um, and like, even, you know, we were like, okay, what's next? We need to give her smoothies. That'll be, you know, thick and, and cooling for her. She'll be able to, you know, maybe she won't aspirate. I mean, there was all sorts of things we were going through that we were like, okay, we got to get, get through these challenges. Like that was our focus. And in a sense, I'm actually so grateful that I didn't have Instagram at this time. I really am. I mean, that's the first time ever, well, since 2013, 
Right. That I have not had my Instagram. I did not go on to the internet at all. I journaled. I basically journaled and um, talked to some of my friends and cried through it. I mean, I cried never in front of her. I mean, we made my brother, sister and I made sure to never show a tear in front of her because she wanted to know we were going to be okay. Um, she didn't want to see us sad. And even though she didn't say that, we just knew that we knew we had to show our joy. We knew we had to show our positivity. So it kind of, it kind of made itself, it, it manifested itself. Like that joy and positivity we were showing with her was natural. And it, it just carried on after. And I mean, but I guess going back to your question, how so, you know, with this week being worse, just realizing she's not there. I mean, I had three or four nights where I just curled into a ball on the bathroom floor and cried deep cries, like from my lungs that I've never had before calling out to her, like wishing it wasn't real and wanting to talk to her and wanting to hear her voice and wanting to ask her all the questions I want to ask her because right now it's just a one-way conversation and it feels horrible sometimes. It really does. Um, and I, I wouldn't say gratefulness is present at that mo moment at those moments, but but I know those emotions are, they can all exist, right? Gratefulness can exist with anger, frustration, confusion, sadness. And I have all of it. I have bitterness. I have everything. And somehow gratefulness is always that foundation of it though, because I know that every emotion is temporary, but gratefulness will always be what we have to look for in those other emotions. It's kind of an awareness. You have to just be aware of the situation that you're going through and be aware of what you have in that moment and what we can be grateful now, you know, at this time, because you can't change the fact of what happened. And that's also a part of it is awareness and acceptance. That's why I can be so grateful is because I'm, I mean, I'd give anything to take it back, but I can't. And this was her battle. This was her life. And she was at peace with it. And her telling me all these things, like I'm at peace with this and me telling her, I'm going to make such a great life and giving her a hug and a kiss. And she was like, I'm so glad, honey. And then me going downstairs to cry my eyes out for like an hour. I don't know. I don't know where gratefulness even fits into that, but it, it does. It does because I feel so lucky that I, I got closure and not everyone gets that. And I, I really feel like, I mean, even laying in bed with her, my dad was like, go lay with her. You know, whoever wants to go upstairs and hang out with her and talk in the room with her, go, you know, spend as much time as you can with her. Um, and when she couldn't come downstairs to, she was too weak to come downstairs for dinner. So they have like a master suite upstairs. So that's when I say coming downstairs, the whole main floor is like downstairs. Um, you know, when she couldn't come down anymore and my dad and I had a, you know, our bit of an argument with that, we kind of had to, we had limits, right? We had boundaries where my boundary was different than my dad's. So he, he really didn't want to believe that that was her last time come, being able to come downstairs. But we were like, we can't bring her downstairs. Realistically, it's not safe for her. We just can't. And he, you know, there were different points. We were a mess, right? 
And um, we just had to be there for each other and be strong for each other and be strong for my mom. And I, you know, I mean, when she couldn't come downstairs, we took a, a folding table, took it upstairs to her room and ate with her upstairs. And she ate in bed. There was one night I fed her with the like moving tray and it wasn't much food, but you know, she was so seeing her so grateful for that too, saying thank you. I mean, she was a woman of very little words at that point. And she said, thank you for accompanying me. Thank you for being there every night at dinner. Thank you for being there. And she didn't even know she needed us. You know, she didn't know she wanted us there. You know, I know in the beginning that she was like, don't call the kids, but she was afraid for us to see her that way. Right. I mean, we'd never seen her that way. So, um, and I still have trouble processing. So I'm trying to process her death and her not being here forever. I'm still trying to process that, but I'm also trying to process taking care of her. Cause that was, that was hard. That was some of the hardest 10 days of my life. I mean, she died, you know, we got there July 8th. She died on the July 18th. So, but at the same time, how grateful that I could process her death and process the process that we were going through while she was still alive. I mean, it's that just, weird, the weird duality, you know, that the, the straddling between the worlds that on one hand, you're, you, you know, what's coming and you're preparing for it. But on the other hand, you're, you're there to, you're able to say goodbye, right? Like you don't want to say goodbye, but you, you're, you're doing it. It's just, it's the, I can't imagine how that must have like the, the toll of that also watching it happen, you know, like there's, there's, there's so many different levels to this, this story. It's just, it's, it's not, it's, it's, I guess it's good to know that you had the opportunity to say goodbye and, and that you got to do it your way. And she also got to do it her way. And I think that, that this is an important takeaway as well. Yeah. And I mean, I do realize that there are so many different types of losses, whether it's a job, a divorce, and a parent like mine. Um, some may be sudden deaths, and that is a whole other loss in itself than the one I went through. And I, you know, throughout too, it's just thinking about those COVID patients who did not get to say goodbye to their family. Their family couldn't even visit them. I mean, my brother, dad, sister, and I opened a bottle of wine every night after getting my mom successfully ready for bed and put to bed. And uh, we would just chat. It'd be my, my dad would always get the wine out. And then it was, it was my sister, brother, me, and then sometimes my sister-in-law would be there too. And um, we would just talk about mom and our, you know, fun memories and, you know, what we were talking about, what we would normally talk about even before she was going through this, like just, we were our normal selves, you know? And, um, but we also talked about things could always be worse in this horrible situation. Um, things could always be worse. And again, people might not agree with me on that. People might not agree with me on it. It's a very sensitive subject, death and grieving. 
to, and it's very, it could be very seen as very insensitive to say, you got to find the silver linings in it. Um, everything happens for a reason. But I mean, I'm not, you know, it, it's true. I'm not going to say that I don't believe those things. I absolutely believe those things. And people might not agree with me on that. But really, things could always be worse. It sounds like, you know, I, I would be insensitive to someone's situation, what they're going through. And it might, it might to them. And there's no right way to feel when someone is grieving, really. And there's no timeline to it either. So I don't mean to sound insensitive, but I do really think if you want to live a happy life and you want to continue to wake up every day and be happy, gratitude is one of them. And finding those silver linings in whatever kind of loss you're going through is. I mean, it, it started with Kobe. I mean, it started when I was young. I think I've always just had that, how can we make it positive? How can we, how can we accept the situation for what it is? Not be in denial that it's so terrible. It's not about being in denial, but it's about accepting the situation for how bad it is. But also what are the good things that we can get from this? What are, you know, being able to say goodbye and being able to take care of my mom. I feel so honored and so, I mean, as helpless as I felt, I mean, I felt so helpless in those times I'd, take her to the bathroom and I'd have to hold her on the toilet. I mean, so helpless, but we were helping her so much. I mean, well, I think, I think it goes so back many to different emotions. I can call. I know. I, but I think it goes back to what you were saying about not when we were talking earlier about, about Kobe, it's, you know, not playing the, you know, you use the phrase victim card or, or victimizing yourself in a situation. I think one of the things I try to focus on now, just in my own work with myself, it's like, you know, I can't control the things that happen, right? Like life happens on life, ter life's terms. You know, I know a lot of people that are in recovery that use that phrase all the time. Life happens and you have to accept life on life's terms. How I react to things is what what I can, that's what I can control, right? So when you say things, like when you say, you know, that might be, a, that might offend someone or that might not be the right thing to say, sure. But at the same time, that doesn't invalidate how you feel about it and how you're reacting. And your reaction is just as, as uh, acceptable and just as okay for lack of a better term, as someone else who may not feel that way. And once, you know, it's just like, I can control how I react to this and I can control how I'm going to set my mind and how it's going to let, even if it's just to take it hour by hour, you know, or even a half an hour by half an hour, I am going to sit and focus on one good thing in this entire situation that I can take away from this. And next, the next half hour, I'm going to focus on something completely different. And then just, it's all about the way that you are reacting to it. And I think that's, that's what I'm taking away from this is, is that you have just put yourself in a spot where you just, you know, tell, I mean, yeah, tell me about some of the things that you have felt grateful for, you know, in, in all of these situations. What, what, what are your takeaways? That what you said, life happens on life's terms. I love that. I've never heard that before. Um, there's so many different ways of saying that, right? It's just, everything happens for a reason, I think is also another one. Like it's going to happen regardless whether you want it to or not, or regardless of whether you think it's going to happen or not, life happens. And um, I think I've throughout it all, I mean, I've had so much loss this year. I feel like my mom being the largest loss that I feel like can't even compare to a job, but every loss is a loss, right? So it's just, what are you going to gain from that loss? 
that's what it is. It's what, like, how am I going to move forward happily? Because I know I want to live happily. So how am I going to do that? What is going to make me happy? Just continuing to ask what's going to make me happy and using that pain into purpose, really just changing whatever is painful for you and turning it into a, a passion or a purpose. When you think back about 2020, what are your takeaways going to be? And, and, and how do you think you move forward from here? And do you think that you'll be able to remain grateful after all of this? My takeaways, because I've had a lot of firsts this year, um, I've never gone through some of the stuff that I've gone through. And I think my first takeaway is that you are always stronger than you believe you are when you're put in the situation. There's no doubt that anybody can get through anything um, and come out the other side a happy person, a happy, loving, purposeful person. Um, so that's one of my takeaways is that no matter what crap that has 2020 has thrown at me and it has been crap that, I mean, some of the worst things that have happened ever in my life that I feel like, wow, if this is, I mean, if I can get through this, I mean, I can get through anything. So I feel like continuing to move forward, um, knowing that you're always stronger than you think you are. So whatever life throws at you, you can do it. And um, another takeaway is just um, gratitude. Really, gratitude. Again, I've never been one to have a, a great gratitude journal and write three things down every day that you're grateful for. And I think about them. I just don't write them. I don't, you know, it's never been something I've had. And I know it's a great practice, but um, I think this year has taught me a lot about gratitude. And I, I think I'd had it to a point in my life before, because I think it starts with my parents too. I think just growing up, knowing that life is going to be on its own terms. Life is going to happen on its own terms and we just have to make the best of it. Um, I think I've been taught that my whole life as well and that we don't play victim. My mom never played victim when she was, she had cancer. I mean, this, she was, she said, this is my battle and this is what I was given. So we roll with it, whatever that might mean. And that caused her to have such a happy three and a half, three, I'd say three years, you know, quarantine was kind of crappy. So I'd say three you years. Can't, can't count quarantine. That doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> nothing yeah. in 2020 counts. Just we're all um, keeping track. Tw nothing in 2020 counts. Yeah. No. So out of the three and a half years that she had cancer, the three years she, I mean, my boyfriend and I got to take her to Portugal. We flew first class there, you know, a year after she was diagnosed. She, and you would never know she had cancer. She had her she had a port, you know, on her chest. That's where um, she had her port and she was cleared to fly by the doctors and she did great. I mean, we got um, a vacation in Oregon, a whole family vacation. So everyone together, which we do every four years, that was 
her last family vacation. It was 2018. So 2018 was a, a good year. We got some great memories with her. And, um, and 2019 was the last time like our whole family was together um, Christmas because my sister and brother-in-law do every other year with the families. So this Christmas it was with us. So, you know, we had a family picture and that was our, that was, and she was, you know, it just seemed like the three years we had fun. We really did. And I know she went through a lot. She went through surgery, uh, brain surgery. She went through brain radiation, spinal radiation, chemo every week or every three weeks for the three and a half years. I mean, she, her body went through a lot and she still, you know, she still, um, never played victim. So I think I've all, I've seen that as an example of my parents and have lived it myself is just don't play victim. Um, you're handed a certain card in this life and it's your game to figure out how to get through it. It's a game. And you got to play it the best you can. And I think, I think everyone wants to be happy. I think that's like the goal, right? You know, is to be happy, to be comfortable and uh, be comfortable in your financial situation, all of that. Go after that. Whatever is going to get you there, go after it. Like, that's what I mean by turning pain into purpose also is everyone, we might not have one purpose. Like we might have multiple purposes. There's, it's kind of a, an overwhelming thought that we have one purpose. We have many purposes, but we also have many chapters and seasons in our lives that I think going back to your question is that a takeaway from this year is that for me, I have to turn my pain into purpose this year. I've had a lot of pain and I still will forever with my mom. Um, and thinking back to Kobe and everything that was lost with my Instagram, it, it's not going to be the same. Um, so I have to accept that and know, you know what, this is an opportunity for me to recreate myself and reinvent myself. I mean, I talked to my dad about, you know, how I lost my Instagram and like, what do I do? And like, I don't, you know, I haven't heard from Facebook and they didn't email me back, you know, since Facebook owns Instagram, I was waiting for a response from them. And, um, you know, my dad was like, Hey, this is an opportunity for you to reinvent it how you want to. And maybe you have a different focus this time now that, you know, mom is not here or, you know, and I actually started my new Instagram the morning of the day that the afternoon that she died. Um, I had enough time to process my, you know, taking care of my mom. And I had two, two full weeks without, um, yeah, I'd had at this point about two, maybe a little bit more, three full weeks without Instagram. And I, and I thought, this is it. This is my opportunity to turn whatever crap I've had into something meaningful. So Thank I you. say those are my takeaways. Thank you so much for joining me to, to tell, tell your story. Um, I'm, I'm consistently inspired by your ability to stay grateful in the uh, overwhelming 
<laughs> madness that is this year and just specifically your year. And I just want to say thank you for coming on the show to, uh, to share this with us. And I really appreciate it. And I hope this year gets better. Um, it obviously can only get better. I'm hopeful, but 2020 continues to surprise us. So, um, thank you again, Sandra. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Adam. Thank you. Thanks again to my friend, Sandra Highmark for sharing her story of gratitude and triumph. Find some time this week to be grateful. Don't think too hard on it. Just find the positives in each moment, hour, day, reflect on it. And remember that no matter how big the obstacle or how much we endure on top of this madness we're living in on a day-to-day basis this year. We're all in this together and it's gonna be okay. Like Kobe once said, everything negative, pressures, challenges, is all an opportunity for me to rise. So get out there and rise this week. See you next week, friends. Thanks for joining me today on Foundation Radio. and produced by Adam Barnard and Sam Kreps. Our intro and outro is produced by Dumb Ugly. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash foundation radio pod. This has been a Foundation Radio production.